today with just joy and just singing through them and, and blessing us and helping them to help us into your presence. Thank you. And Father, we come to you today and what we ask you to do is to show all of us, everyone who walks through that door, everyone who sits in this room and ministers in whatever way they do, that they would know how radically you love them. And it would free them to also radically love others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit down or stand. Weird for you, funny for me. And you can't drive that platform there. Thank you, though. Man. I think I know most everyone's here. Actually, let me go back. If this is your first Sunday with us and you don't have a way to know what's going on here, just send a text. Oh, that's you. Steve, what are you doing to my leg? You're making it weird. Anyway, if it's your first Sunday with us, text the word welcome to that number, 307-224-4404, so we can uh, know a little bit about you, or you can begin at least to find out a little bit about us. Are you guys happy this morning? Good deal, man. Yeah, Cecilia's happy, good. Hey, I do want to let you know about a couple Bible studies that are launching here in a few weeks on May 27th, so they're digging deeper, so uh, they are connected to, are they digging deeper, or are you guys going to do another book study to start? At the moment, they're digging deeper, two ladies studies, one at 7 a.m., okay, that's what I thought I'd get out of that one, and then one at 9 a.m., I'm just kidding, some people are morning people, actually, I'm one of them, so just wanted to let you know, there'll be more about that on Facebook, so... Let's jump in. We're in our series called Learning Curve, and uh, I'm trying to get a timer started so I'll know how much I'm going over. That was funny. It was kind of funny. All right, so. And today we're talking about learning to love, learning to love. And so uh, I'm actually, I'm probably going to tap on that scripture you just brought up. That was really, really fits into a point in this message, so we'll see how that goes. But what I want to talk about is how that I want to talk about love, and I'm going to talk about that famous chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. And the funny thing I realized as I was studying this message was that I'm going to talk about this message in the context that Paul wrote it. And you're like, okay, that's what preachers do. I got to thinking about 1 Corinthians 13, and I don't think I've ever heard it taught in the context of, of where it's located. And I'll explain that in just a minute. So it, it should be fun. It should expand us a little bit. Uh, what I hope it will do is connect you with God's love in such a way that you're able to share that love with other people. And so today we're talking about learning to love, and we're jumping into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so 1 Corinthians 12, 31 makes this bodacious claim. Do you guys remember the word bodacious? Late 80s, early 90s, Hank Williams Jr. or something like that. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Paul writes... You should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Your best life now. Think about that. Joel Osteen wrote a book, Your Best Life Now. Sold 8 million copies. That's, that probably made him a few bucks, right? And out of that came the book, a study guide, a calendar, and, oh, a board game. There's a Best Life Now board game. I did not know. It's like the game of life, but I guess you win. I, I don't know. So I, I have no idea. I have I've never. <laughs> Sorry. I guess I'm a little feisty today. Anyway, we'll see how this goes. 
But um, I, I have no criticisms for Joel Osteen. In fact, let me just, here's my sermon on this. I am tired of the church criticizing the church. Okay, we need to stop doing that. But anyway, I have no criticisms for Joel Osteen. And I haven't read his book just because it's not in my parameters, not in my view. So I looked, at, I looked over the outline. It actually, the outline looked great, you know. So, but I, uh, I have nothing to say about that. Here's what I do have to say about it. At least 8 million people saw the title, Your Best Life Now, and they wanted that. People would like to know how to achieve it. Now, here's the funny thing. Here's right in the Bible. The, the most sold book of all of history, okay? More homes have a copy of the Bible than anything else. In fact, many homes have multiple copies in di- different forms. But in the most popular book in the history of the world, Paul writes, let me show you a way of life that is best of all. So here's the thing. Have you ever even heard that verse? And I'm like, well, you probably read Corinthians like, and have seen that and known it, but did it, ever, did it ever occur to you that here's Paul saying, here's how, here's how to have the best life. How, why haven't you heard it? And I'll tell you why. Because 1 Corinthians 12.31 is right in the middle of the weirdest chapters of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 both deal with spiritual gifts. And, and it, he doesn't just deal with the, the rational and reasonable spiritual gifts. He also deals with the weird ones, all of them. And as he gets through chapter 12 and he kind of lays out a, uh, a short list of a few gifts, By the, and I think I said this last week, I'm going to say it every week until you get it. I do not think there's an exhaustive or complete list of the spiritual gifts in the Bible. I think God, being God, can give you a gift that is not in there, all right? And so... 1 Corinthians 12, he lists the gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about prophecy and tongues, which we're going to talk about next week. And don't get scared. It's going to be fun. I know. Some of, I know. I would have been scared at a point in my life. But it's going to be fun, and we're going to look at them in broad strokes, not, not real tight strokes, but just broad, broad concepts. But right in the middle of this discussion on gifts, Paul stops everything. He basically says, hold it. Here's the, before we get into this stuff that's going to build the body of Christ, let me lay a foundation of what all this is built on. So our message today is on 1 Corinthians 13. And you've heard 1 Corinthians 13 taught in the context of a marriage relationship, of friendships, of how to love sacrificially. You may have heard it taught in any of those ways, but what you absolutely must understand, that it is nestled, it is the jewel of the text on spiritual gifts. And so when you start thinking about spiritual gifts, whether that's teaching, preaching, prophecy, tongues, whatever it is, you've got to understand that Paul thought it was important enough to actually stop talking about spiritual gifts so he could write a chapter on what the foundation of spiritual gifts is so he could go into the practical uses and applications of a couple of those gifts. Does that make sense? You with me? You're not scared? I'm a little scared, but I'll get over it. So what, I, I, what, I want, what I'm challenging myself to do, and, and, and believe me, many of the things that I'm talking about in this series are things that have been a journey for me as well. What I want to remind you of is this. We are a lot more comfortable when things make sense in life, aren't we? We like things to have reason and order. We like things to happen as we expect that they should happen. Because that's how life works. 
That's not how life works. Life isn't reasonable. Life isn't rational. Life does not come at you as expected. Does that make sense? And here's Paul laying out these spiritual gifts, and some of them freak us out a little bit. Healings, miracles, the the big manifestation-type gifts. Some of those scare us a little bit, but here's what you need to know. They're not weird. They are given to us for a world that is unreasonable, irrational, and broken. We need a lot more than how hard we can work to make a difference in our world, in our families, and in ourselves. We need supernatural power. We need God to do things because we are simply not strong enough. Does that, does that kind of get you a footing? Will you at least give me a hearing on the next two sermons? Okay, we'll find out next week if you're here or not. So, <clears throat> See, the Bible says in John 6, 63, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. Man, this verse rocked my world. I remember when I stepped down from leading a church here in town and went back into the workforce. This was my sermon, John 6, 63. This was why I stepped down. Because I was doing all that human effort could do. And all I was doing was killing myself and hurting my family. And that's when I began to realize, a season before that, I had to realize I have to have God's power. I can't do this life in Michael's power. I'm not strong enough, guys. I'm not strong enough. And every year I get older, the more I realize I'm not strong enough. And so Jesus says there is a way, and that way is him. And so we jump into this 1 Corinthians 13. Let's, let's get going. Paul writes, If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Let me, let me Michael Maynard paraphrase that. If I could speak in all the languages of heaven and earth, and I didn't have love, I'd be annoying. <clears throat> if I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained Nothing. I would have said nothing. I would have done nothing. I would have gained nothing without love. And here's what the lesson I want you to understand. The first point I want to make is this. Love is what makes the gifts that God has given you matter. Love is what makes them matter. Not your effort. I'm not saying there's no effort to be applied when God gives you a gift. There is in the, that we sharpen those gifts. We learn how to use those gifts. We develop skills in those gifts. But we must never forget that they are gifts and that they're God-powered. We must never forget that. But what makes that gift matter, no matter what your platform, no matter how big your audience, no matter how many likes you get in whatever social media form you use, what makes it matter is love. You see, language, so Paul points it out clear. He says that the language you use, if it doesn't have love, you're annoying. It's empty. It rings hollow if your words and the languages you speak, whether they're earthly languages or heavenly languages, if they aren't filled with God's love, they, they ring hollow. They're annoying. 
So I grew up on the King James Bible, and I am, I'm not a huge fan of the King James at present in my life, but there are certain places that I miss it, and 1 Corinthians is the, 13 is the place. Because the King James translates the word love as charity. And although no one knows what charity would mean in this context, most, most of our younger generation would read that and wouldn't make any sense to them, but charity implies giving. And so when I read the love chapter in the King James, I'm reminded through that word charity that this isn't, this isn't self-focused love. This isn't love that's lust. This is love that's sacrificial in nature. But the word here is from the Greek is agape. So let me, I, I'm not good at Greek, so I'll tell you what it means in English, if that's okay. English is all I can handle, and I'm from the South, and I don't handle it well, so... But that agape, it means, literally means love feast. And it implies that you feast on God's love. And because you're feasting, you're able to share God's love. You're receiving in order to share. And so we come in here and we see that, we're spo- that our language is supposed to be filled with love. And I ask myself, okay, well, ask God. How, how do we do that? Verse John four nineteen. We love each other because he loved us. This is why we have a problem loving each other. I would I, I think I could, could successfully argue that the average believer today has a very poor connection to God's love. I would argue that the average believer today does not feel loved by God. How can you love others if you don't experience love from your heavenly Father and He's the source of love? There is no other source of love. And so you have to remember, if I'm ever going to actually love people, and I'm not talking about feelings of love, we'll talk about this later, I'm talking about actually loving people, if I'm going to do that, I've got to be loved first. I have to receive from the great lover, who is God, the source of love. And so if I'm going to have words for you that are filled with love, it has to start with where I am with God. And then his love for me moves my annoying words, my my cliches, my platitudes. He moves those empty words into a place of power. The Hebrews believed that that the, the true source of power in words and in teaching was in the intentionality and the heart of the teacher, not in the actual words themselves. And so here we see God's love toward us making our words powerful. And so don't be annoying. Make your words matter. But, and begin with receiving God's love. And I, I, you know what? Personal challenge. This week, spend as much time as you can mark out in your calendar thinking about how much God loves you. And if you have any problems, just jump into John Read John 19. Read John's account of Jesus' crucifixion. And just think about how much God loves you. Okay? So without, so love makes our words matter. 
Love makes uh, the words of the church matter. So when we get into 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to talk a little bit about prophecy and these kind of things. And, and Paul presents prophecy to the church as a way to build the church, to make it stronger, to lift it up, to encourage the church. Have you ever been encouraged by someone and it went flat? You know, uh, there's different kinds of encouragement, I guess, or people try to encourage. One of, the ones, one, of the, one of the ones that annoys me the most, I wouldn't have known if it weren't for social media. Some, some person will put up a picture of themselves, and then the comments begin. And there's always that creepy one. And you're like, dude, stop. Flattery is just a form of manipulation. And no one likes to be manipulated. But also, I remember back in the 90s, I was in the corporate world. Man, I love corporate America. No, I don't. And um, it was the empowerment time. It was the affirmation. Affirm people. Man, you're great. That sounds good, doesn't it? What does that mean? Great what? Great looking, great talented, I do my job well. What do you mean, you're great? I don't know, but you sure are great. It's not very affirming. Now, I'll tell you what what would be affirming. Like this worship team up here, you saw them. You'll see their faces again as a reminder. Just uh, maybe when they leave or when they're done, just go up and say, hey, thanks. Thanks for serving on the worship team. One of these kids' church workers, a thank you. That can be pretty healthy and very very affirming. Just thank you for serving. Thank you for stepping up and, and blessing this body. Because without these people, ordinary faith can't happen. <laughs> Just can't. And so, th- yeah, those are encouraging, those things. But Paul talks about a different kind of encouragement. One that looks into heaven for other people. One that looks to the future. He calls it prophecy. And I think prophecy in the New Testament is different from prophecy in the Old Testament. Because prophecy in the Old Testament didn't have the blood of Jesus. And it, didn't, and it operated under a different covenant than it did in the New Testament, and it does in the New Testament. But what I see here is that Paul's talking about a way to build each other from a place of love, and love makes that matter. And then there's that sacrifice thing he talks about in verse 3, that if I were to lay down my life, but I didn't have love, then it would be for nothing. And as I think about that verse, I'm like, how do you sacrifice without love? I mean, why would you give more than you could afford? Why would you... Uh, give up a weekend to help someone out? Why would you give, uh, I mean, why would you lay down your life if there wasn't love involved? If you didn't love someone? I can't imagine sacrifice without love. But apparently Paul could. He, he believed there's a way that you could sacrifice, I guess for self-effort, self-honor, or something like that. But even that, language, encouragement, even sacrifice, if it doesn't have love, It's not founded on love. It's just not worth anything. And so love is what makes the gift matter. So if you're serious about pursuing the spiritual gifts that God has for you, and you should be, Paul tells you to do that, to seek those gifts that are going to help the body. And by the way, this whole chapter is in the context of the body of Christ, the church. So when he's talking about love here, yes, all of this applies to relationships and marriages and relationships with your kids and all that kind of stuff, but its context is the church. Its context is that, I, that we love each other. 
And you have to remember that. Because Jesus said, this is how people are going to know you're my disciples, by the fact that you'll be right. No, that's not what he said. I just wanted to say what everybody believed. What he said was, they'll know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. That's, how can we say, how can we say we love a lost world when we can't stand each other, right? And that's what, that's what Jesus is getting at. If we can't get enough love from God to love the people who are also pursuing God, how are we supposed to get enough love from God to pursue all the people who hate God? Does that make sense? And so all of this stuff without love, it's powerless, it's empty. And so in order for us to have love, I say we learn to feast on God's love. Now, love makes your gifts matter. Love is not how you feel. It's what you do. Love is not how you feel. It's what you do. Because we learn so much from media, advertisements, games, all these things today, most people are under the impression that love is a very feeling-oriented thing. And I would say there are strong feelings connected to love, but I, I don't think feelings are the beginning of love. And so Paul teaches us that love does some things. I love this text. I use it in a lot of wedding ceremonies I do, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. And I want you to realize he's telling the church how to love itself. He's telling us how to love the person sitting next to you. Okay? Love is patient and kind. By the way, you could replace the word love with God here. It would work great. Because all this stuff is who God is. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. I hate that. I wish he'd have left that one out because I like to be rude sometimes. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. That's, that's the one that my wife reminds me of all the time. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love, agape love, the unconditional love of God, is not about what other people do. It's about what you do. This is something we have to remember. That the children of God, in fact, we're going to do a whole series on this in June called Powerful People. The children of God have the power to choose love when their enemies hate them. When they're being persecuted. In fact, if you read the stories of the martyrs, you'll find time and again that believers were able to love those who were tormenting them. Why? Because they have the power to choose to love regardless of what others do. It doesn't matter what you do. I can still choose to love you. I can still make that choice. And so love is about what you do and how you feel. And if you think about it, it's kind of funny. Because all the, time, all the things in life we, we know we need and don't actually want, but all the things we need, like, like patience. Has anyone in this room ever ex- exercised patience when it was easy to exercise patience? 
If the situation requires patience, a choice is going to have to be made. Right? Kindness. When there are many situations in our lives where when it's time to choose kindness, the last thing we want to do is be kind. And so my point is simply this. We have the power as the children of God because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self, self, say self. Self-control. Not God-control. We surrender to God and He gives us self-control. By the way, which is the only thing in the world that's in my realm of the possibility of control. And so I can choose to love. And I love the stories. Brother, Brother Yoon's book, Heavenly Man, is a wonderful story. And, and he gives you his personal account of how he basically came to just love his captors and tormentors. Richard Wormbrand, same thing in his book, Tormented for Christ. You get an inside look at how a believer came to a place to love those who were torturing them. Amazing. Why? Because Christians have this power to choose to love. So this week, I was going to use another story because I'm afraid this one's going to make me cry because it's personal. But deal with it. I love you. So after church today, my wife and I are, are headed to Tennessee. My father has dementia. My mother's in a hospital in Jackson, Tennessee, because she had a COVID run that basically she hasn't been conscious in almost a month. And uh, I love my dad. I mean, I have great feelings of love for my dad. He's my hero. I'm telling you, man, it, God might as well gave him a cape for me. Because he, 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 his testimony for Christ, his life, he's my hero. Is he perfect? No, but he's my hero. My dad is leaving. Every week, every month, a little bit more of him is gone. It's the slowest grief ever. And I'm going home, and I don't know how things are going to go because I have to have some conversations with him. I don't want to. I do not want to have these conversations. They're painful conversations. But I love my dad. And right now, I'm going to go do something that is love. Sadly, he probably isn't going to understand that as love. But I'm a parent. I have eight sons. I've been through, down that road a couple of times. My point is, is, is that love does things. Love steps out, and it's patient, and it's kind, and it's not rude, and it's gentle. It's everything that God is. That's what love is. How am I going to equip myself for this? I'm going to feast on God's love. I'm going to feast on God's love. I'm going to every day and every moment I can pray and connect with God and be in His Word and meditate on His Scriptures just to connect to the heavenly pipeline because I need stuff God has. In fact, my prayer for the last month has been, God, I need answers from heaven because the ones on earth are not good. They're not valid. So I just want you to see that love does things. And sometimes it does things that aren't fun, but it still does things. And the best example of that is, um, is Christ on Calvary. So 
So love is a feeling, not a choice, and it's a choice that you have the power to make. Don't let feelings control your love. We want to be irritable, but be kind. We want to demand our way, but we can make a different choice. The other thing I want to point out before I leave this point is that there's a common thing that we say. Sometimes we lose it. Do you ever lose it? Sometimes I lose it. Hey, if you're online, just type in, sometimes I lose it, so we'll know you're there, okay? <clears throat> I've had people say to me, well, listen, and they've said something that was either judgmental or rude or, or something like that, and, and they've said it, and I've said it too, I just couldn't help it. I had to say something. And so I want to remind you of something that Paul says, and this leans into the, the, the fact that you always have a choice. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 32, remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit because they have self-control. And if there's ever a point in your life that you start, you're moving into something unloving and you're thinking to yourself, I can't help it, I have to do something here, you need to remember that is not God. That is not God. If you can't hold it back, then the main thing you have to do in that moment is hold it back. Okay? Because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The fruit of the flesh is thinking everybody else is wrong. But the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So remember that. Love isn't how you feel. Love is what you do. And lastly, well, I had another verse in there, but I'm going to jump over it. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Let's jump into the end of the chapter. Actually, we're going to come to the chapter ending just a little bit backwards, so... You don't know what I'm doing anyway, so don't worry. <clears throat> Three things will last forever. Death, tax, oh no, no, that's wrong ones. Faith, hope, and love. By the way, Paul's using a literary tool here. He, each term is greater. He's emphasizing faith, hope, love. Okay? He's trying to add power and emphasis to love, and then he says it. The greatest of these is love. Then verse 1 of chapter 14, he starts the next chapter and he says, as we're getting into, you know, uh, the chapter on using a couple spiritual gifts that are pretty popular in the kingdom today, it, it's, before he gets into those, he, he wraps up, and by the way, when Paul wrote this, there weren't chapters and verse headings, you know, he just wrote stuff, okay? That would have been cool though, I'll make this one, John three sixteen. they'll remember that one, that was John, not Paul, but still. <laughs> Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the spirit. Special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. The thing I want you to see here is that love is the target. This is what we're aiming for. Love isn't the fallback plan. Love isn't like the makeup test. Love is the target. Love is what we're headed for. And here's why. Love learns. This is something I wish I could get through to every couple that's getting married they're, or they're young and they're walking into relationships and choosing life with another person. I, I want them to understand love learns. I don't know why people have the idea in their heads that when you have a wedding that it's over. Dude, the wedding's the beginning. You understand that, right? I mean, they got walk out of the wedding and go, that's it. I got married. I found a person. I'm done. Happily ever after. I promise you, happily ever after is not coming with that attitude, all right? You got six months, maybe, and then the fight is on until you get a better attitude, all right? 
That was a different sermon for a different time, wasn't it? <laughs> Paul writes to us in verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, Paul implied that he grew up. <laughs> when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we'll see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. You see, love is who God is. And he's talking about love as a way that we grow from childhood to being an adult. It's the foundation of God's person of our father and children grow up to be like their parents, even if they don't want to. <laughs> they grow up to be like their parents. And God is love. And Paul says, I want you to grow and learn and walk into this experience and knowledge of God's love. By experiencing God's love, by practicing God's love, and choosing God's love, every time we do that, we become more like our father, more like him. So love learns. And of course, back to that marriage concept, when you find your person, you just took on a college course for the rest of your life. You learn them. My wife and I will have our 34th anniversary at the end of this month. 34 years. We're way too young for that. I know we're married at four. Just kidding. Because <laughs> they're like, well, he is from Tennessee. It's possible. I am amazed. I am amazed. My wife just got this new game called the Discovery Game, which is basically a, a dating game for couples where they can ask good questions. It's made by a Christian company. I am amazed at the things I learn about that woman. I mean, I knew she was crazy. I know you're going to see this later, hon. But the fact that she's crazy about me blows my mind, and also the fact that there are parts of her story that still haven't all come out yet. It just amazes me. So yeah, love, love learns. And our creator is, loves, he is God and God is love. Also, love builds. So Paul tells us that he wants every, all these gifts founded on 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. God kind of love. A love feast. Where I feast on God's love and then I am full of God's love for others. And then he goes and tells us in chapter 14, verse 3, I'm not going to get into these today, but uh, we will some next week. It says, the one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, comforts them. Now listen to the next part. This is the one on tongues. That's one of the, that may be weird to some of you. But he says, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. Here's what I want you to see. Both of these gifts are building up. They build up the individual, and they build up the church, and that was Paul's concern. Building the body of Christ. Do you know what the body of Christ is? The person sitting next to you. The person across the room from you. The person you're in small group with. The person you have a faith connection with. They're the body of Jesus in your life. And Paul wants us to build them, and so love builds the church. Love builds each other. It doesn't enable. If it tears down, it's to help Rebuild. Love is concerned with the growth of the body of Christ. 
This is something we really need to get through our heads because there's a, there's a strong independence in us. And, and we really, we are so concerned with personal growth. And I get it, you need to grow. But I also agree with Henry Cloud who says all growth is spiritual growth. And the purpose of spiritual growth is to build the body of Christ. Not just so you can have your best life, but so the body of Christ can express the best presentation of Jesus. Does that make sense? And that's why love is so important. It's why the gifts are so important. It has to build. Love has to build. We have to ask ourselves about the things we do. Does it build? Does it help? Because, especially the spiritual gifts, all of this, it's not about you. For you but it's not about you it's about Jesus the day you drew your line in the sand and said I'm following Jesus Christ everything about your life became about him became about walking with him learning about him and demonstrating him and representing him because that's what love is love is the target love is what we're aiming at and this you have to remember this as we close Love lasts. Love lasts. I don't know what people think about. I, I, say that, I say this often. I don't know what people think about when they think about heaven. Some people think vacations. Some people think camping. Camping for eternity. Really? Um, <laughs> some people think fishing. I don't know. People think some things. Heaven is a relationship. Heaven is the love of God that you can feast upon and enjoy now. That will stay with you into eternity. And heaven, eternal life, is connection with God. That's eternal life. Not mansions and streets of gold. Those are wonderful ideas and concepts that that mean way more than our human minds can wrap our hearts around. But we have to remember Heaven's a relationship. And now's our chance to dig, like to study, like get in on this. The pre-course, I don't know. This is our chance to enjoy heaven now. And so this is the beginning of it, this little thing that's a huge thing called love. Love is actually eternal, and it's actually the beginning of the eternal experience. So let me close with this. How's your love? How's your love for God right now? Actually, how's God's love for you? Do you know that God loves you? Michael, he loves the whole world. Okay, you said it. It's in your head. Please, put it in a folder. It's true. Write true on it. Stick it in your pocket. Do you know that God loves you today, right now, in this moment? That if you... That, that as he looks at you, he adores you. That as he thinks about you, he likes you. Profound, huh? Do you know God loves you? And then, to take that a little bit further, do you love the body of Christ? Do you love each other? Do you need to grow in that? I do. Both hands up. I do. Learn to love. It's so much more than we think. So much more than we think. It's so much more than a feeling. In fact, 
I love to feel love toward people. I mean, don't you? But I never start at feeling love toward people. Well, maybe Christy, I'll tell you that story one day. Better not, I don't have time right now. My point is, sometimes the greatest feelings of love we have toward people are the people that we have chosen to love again and again and again. It started with a raw, painful, uncomfortable choice. It became this powerful mountain of emotion and feeling and even passion. Let's learn to love. Father God, I pray that you would help us. We have a hard time loving each other. We have a hard time loving others. But the truth is we have a hard time loving ourselves.